chapter 16 and uh, had to forego the special tonight due to sickness and uh, we have a few people out with sickness. I encourage you to pray one for another and uh, wash your hands uh, <laughs> and uh, pray though for them to get feeling better. Pray you don't get sick and the Lord watch over you and take care of each and every one of you and encourage you to do that. First Samuel chapter number 16. We have uh, part three. Hopefully that's what we have in the back. Great. Fantastic. We're going to finish up part two in our outline. So hopefully you already have that. There's a few of those in the back and um, uh, on the welcome Center, but we're going to hand out part three just in case we get there. I think we'll just get into it. So, man, go ahead and come forward, and uh, we should have enough for each of you to get one. But we are still in part two, that outline, and so hopefully you have that from a couple weeks ago. And uh, we will finish that up first, and then we will go uh, into part number three, okay? And uh, so we'll kind of hand these out, get everybody with us on the same page, and have enjoyed our study. For those visitors that are with us, we've been doing a study on music, and uh, whether it's in, you see the title, and defining it as power. Powerful praise or Satan's stumbling block, uh, how we view music, how we handle music, and uh, how what God intended for it and so forth. We'll get into that a little bit today. And so uh, we've had the privilege of studying in different ways, and I trust we have enough outlines for everybody. We'll try to hand them out. And uh, they're two-sided. So uh, for those of you who just get one to doodle on, you're out of luck, okay, on the back. All right, we'll hand that out. As they do, let's just review real quick. We, I think we can do two things at once, most of us, and uh, let's, <laughs> uh, let's start with this. We looked at the past of music, right? We looked at its history in a sense, and we identified some things that are true, some statements uh, that we understood to be true in our study of music. Number one, the Bible is musical. We saw over 500 references in the Bible to music, so it is heavily incorporated into the book that forms uh, what we believe and, and our doctrine and such, the Bible. Number two, we saw that God is musical, obviously being the author of the Bible. Bible. It came from somewhere, and God is very musical. He, he speaks of that need and that reality to uh, the need to use music and the, the powerful tool that it is and such there. And so um, uh, God is musical. Number, uh, letter C, the third statement, Satan's musical. We saw that from the scriptures, how he was uh, created in, uh, in such a way uh, that he is musical and he knows how to use it. He knows how to um, uh, honestly use it to trip people up. And uh, we also saw this, and I think this is so crucial, our world is very musical. And music is all throughout uh, our world in many different ways, in many different aspects. And uh, in that would sense, I would say much as we understand that, and as we talked about certainly God being musical, we are then in musical because he's created us. I, I think it's important, obviously, that we talk about the topic of music. If it's all around us, if it's in the Bible, and if it's something Satan knows well, boy, we better understand what music is, why, uh, we, why God made it, what it's intended for and such. And so we've been looking at that. The next thing we looked at is something that even the world would agree on, too, is the power of music. The power of music. Music is powerful, and it's used every day in that sense to, dis, uh, to, sh- uh, to show that. Number one, we said it sets the mood. And the ability for it to set the mood, it, uh, in that it affects the emotions, it affects the whole person, and it, it speaks to the spirit and even to the soul and certainly to the body of man. And uh, we see that throughout uh, scriptures, but also uh, experiential evidence in our lives and the world around us. Okay? Number two, we said it sends a message. There's a message in music. We're not talking about the lyrics per se. 
though that is true, we're talking about the very music. The notes, the arrangement of it sends a message and can send many different messages and it can have any aspects, but in that message, message sending ability or capability, it is powerful, okay? Uh, that it can set the mood, it can affect our emotions, and it can also send a message as necessary. Okay, done. then we come to letter C tonight and we're on our outline here. We're on, again, part two. We handed out part three. We'll get there in a little, a little while, but if you have part two, uh, grab that back out. Let's look at this. We'll add the last installment here under the explanation of why is it powerful? Why is music powerful? Well, it's powerful. It sets the mood. It sends a message. And number three, we see at letter C here, um, uh, it deals with the reality that it speaks of morality. It speaks of morality or immorality, okay? So when we identify music and we look at music, we come to realize, and I believe this is on your outline there, music is not amoral. Okay, we'll make a few statements here, and then we'll kind of go back and explain some terminology here. Okay, first, first of all, music is not all moral. Its raw components may be, uh, but music as we know it is a creation of moral beings who were created by a moral God. Therefore, music is a moral creation. Okay, so let's follow the logic there. In fact, let's back up. We'll talk about the logic in a moment and uh, uh, the, the statements here. Let's back up, though, and define some verbiage here. Okay? Uh, if we're saying music will either be good or bad, moral or immoral, in other words, it will speak to one of those things, um, it would help us to define the term moral, okay? So let's do that. First of all, one definition, it's used in two ways uh, very much, the word moral, okay? The first meaning of the word moral is simply this. You see it up here. Having the ability to make judgment of right or wrong concerning human action and character, possessing the ability to discern between right and wrong, okay? The Bible will speak of that reality of there being so many in a city that cannot tell between their left hand and right, cannot discern between their left hand and right, okay? So the idea of being a moral person is that you have the ability to discern between right and wrong, okay? You and I, as a creation of a moral God, we are moral beings. God created us as such. And so we have the ability to identify, to discern between right and wrong, because we serve a moral God, okay? Now, that's the first obvious explanation or definition of the word moral, okay? So if we use it in that sense, referring to a person, we say they have the ability to discern between right and wrong, to, uh, the ability to judge between good and bad, right? Secondly, the word moral is also used uh, to demonstrate goodness or correctness of character and behavior, Okay? So in other words, we would say that's moral, that's good. It's interchangeable in that sense with being good or doing good. He is a moral person. We might use that, that term in that usage in that way. And we might be describing them as being somebody who is good, who does good, who does right in their living, in their choices. They're a moral being because they have the ability to discern. And we could turn around and say, well, they're doing right, they're doing good. They are a moral person, Okay. You and I have that capability. We are created as humans with that capability, and therefore, because man is moral uh, by his very creation, he's able to discern between right and wrong, good and bad. His product, what we produce, can then promote 
either morality or immorality, good or bad. Now, that's a logical conclusion. If something or somebody has the ability uh, to discern between good and bad, then therefore they have the logical uh, uh, conclusion or the logical ability to then produce good or bad, to use something and then produce it in a sense. In other words, because of the intents of their heart, because of who they are, are they a moral person or are they an immoral person, their product then follows what they are. So they can produce that, okay? Have you ever known somebody by their speech and like, wow, that, that's just a bad guy. That's just a bad person because of how they talk. See, their heart reveals it. The Bible says what? Well, uh, out of the, the heart, the mouth speaks, okay? Uh, the, the issues of life are out of the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, so the same is true that you and I, and that what is establishing you, know, we are moral beings, and because we are moral beings, our product is going to be either moral or immoral. So we have the ability to discern between good and bad. The question is, and yeah, as we produce what we produce, and that could be our, our, our language, that could be anything, music, that can be the things that we produce, will it be moral or immoral? It's not all moral because we are moral beings. Therefore, our production is such. Music, therefore, is obviously produced by moral mankind. It is either good or bad. It's moral, immoral, and that's all based upon the intents, the designs, the actions of the composer. Um, what is the design? What's the heart behind what you're doing? And uh, putting that together, arranging the notes and so forth. Let's, let's see some of the, these truths come out in Scripture, what we might call the evidential truth of these things. Okay, we're here in 1 Samuel chapter 16, all right? 1 Samuel chapter number 16. Look with me uh, in verses 14 and following, okay? A little story from the Old Testament that bears out some great truth, okay? Verse 14, we've alluded to it, but now we're going to study it uh, for a few moments here. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, okay? That is not a good thing. Let's start right right here. Saul is in sin. He's already disobeyed God, and because of his disobedience to God, what happened? He was rejected as the king of Israel that continues the king of Israel. In fact, God has already sent Samuel to anoint David as the next king of Israel. So he's ripping it out of his hands, Saul's hands, and certainly uh, the idea of taking it away from his uh, uh, lineage and such. He's already now anointed David as the next king of Israel. Saul is in a bad place. He's disobedient, he's angry with God, he's mad at David, and if he knows about it at this point, he's certainly unhappy of the fact that God is going to chasten him. God's already informed him, this is going to be taken away from your family. Uh, You have forfeited uh, the kingship line, if we might put it that way. Now we read in verse 14, but the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Saul's servants said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Verse 16. Let our Lord now command thy uh, servants, which are before thee, to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp. And it shall come to pass, when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be, and I know uh, this is an interesting statement, thou shalt be well, well. It's an interesting statement. There's a psychologist we're going to quote here in a few moments. In fact, closer to the end of the message. And, but, but he also <laughs> identified how music affects people physically. How it affects people. I mean, just affects them physically. And certainly you, you may know that well. And, and how it can affect you physically. And so yeah, it's interesting that it's termed here um, 
uh, you shall be. They're telling, hey, let's go find someone who can play some good music, who can play some music that's going to minister to you, that's going to help you, and spiritually. Now, now, what are we dealing with here? Let's not miss this, okay? The Spirit of God departed from Saul, and what has arrived on the scene? An evil spirit. So what are we dealing with? Are we dealing with just the physical realm? No, we're dealing with the spiritual realm. This is the spiritual realm. And music is now saying, listen, this, this is going to play a part. And whether you're, you're, you're under the control or the oppression of an evil spirit, or you are under the control or the, uh, at least the, the protection of the Spirit of the Lord. Now, that's amazing to me. Music's going to play into that in this story. Wow. It's kind of interesting as we think about this. As Saul was angry with God, you see that uh, here. And uh, he wasn't right with God. He was refusing uh, to get right with God. So God allowed or sent this evil spirit to chastise him. So the servants, in turn, they call for David. And they're looking for this person to play his harp. And it uh, might not be your <laughs> instrument of choice or mine, but the harp is a beautiful uh, instrument, per se. And he comes and he plays. And the uh, most amazing thing happens. I want you to see the powerful effect. Now listen, the powerful effect for good or bad. Well, in this sense, it was certainly good. Notice verse 23, if you will. Jump down to verse number 23. Okay? Notice what it says. And it came to pass... When the evil spirit from God, so God allowed it, God sent it, was upon Saul, that David took an harp, and he played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed. He was and was well. And the evil spirit departed from him. Now, we can derive a lot from that statement. Okay? And certainly about music. Because here's David. He shows up. Uh, he's the musician. He sits down in his harp. Maybe he sings along with it. <coughs> Excuse me. But he certainly plays. That's, we know at the very least he put his hand to the harp. He's playing. And something inherent to this music had a, don't miss it, moral effect on Saul. It impacted him spiritually. In fact, we would put it this way and if we could. Uh, this music of David, it had a, a, a good or a moral effect on Saul, changing his spirit and affecting him greatly. That's an amazing thought. Now listen, okay, all of us have listened to different kinds of music, and we all can have to admit, boy, it, it, it does affect us, okay? It, it does have an impact, and it can certainly have an impact on your thinking, as we talked about. It can impact your emotions. It can impact uh, your feelings. It can impact you, and it's not, it's a logical step. It's not a stretch to say it can then, in turn, affect you spiritually, it affects you spiritually. Here's the power of music. It can affect you morally or immorally. It, 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 can, it can bring out things and do things to you that are good. It can do things to you that are not good. That is the power of music. And here's the story where we see that, that they realize, well, we need some music here because Saul is not doing well spiritually. They bring in the music. And here's David. and He plays. Okay, and uh, some of you do this, okay? Uh, you don't have to be honest tonight, but some of you know when you're in a bad mood, okay? Others of you, your spouse will tell you, you're in a bad mood. Now, what we do sometimes when we're in a bad mood, I remember being a, a, a teenager and then a college age, and, and I just, I remember there are times kind of feeling glum, times feeling, you know, discouraged another way, boy, just tired and worn out and so forth. That's a lot of times when we're moody as humans and so forth. And I remember that one of the greatest things that helped me was, boy, when I was driving down the road, sticking in a good Christian CD. And you know what would happen? Before I knew it, 
But I felt a little happier. I felt a little refreshed. In fact, so much so, thankfully I was alone, I began to sing along with it. And it just kind of lifted my spirit. It kind of lifted my heart. And, 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 and the things that had gotten me down, maybe the things of life, uh, the events of life, the things that I was thinking, oh, maybe a dis- discouraging moment, uh, a disappointing uh, reality of life, all those things kind of got put on the back burner in my thinking. And the music, good godly music, Christian music, much that we would have here in the service, ministered to me. And I like the statement here. What was the effect on Saul? It refreshed him. It made him well. And what happened spiritually? Could we just put it kind of this way? He had a revival. The evil spirit what? Departed. He was revived spiritually. How? Through music. But let me ask you this. If music is amoral, how in the world does it have that a powerful effect? How in the scriptures, and certainly we see experiential evidence in our lives, the lives of others, how in the world does it have this powerful effect to cheer us up, to minister to us spiritually? Now, I don't know about you, but <laughs> when Mr. Solis was over here tickling the, the ivory keys, as we like to say and refer to piano playing, that beautiful song, It Is Well With My Soul, I think it was one of the more dynamic hymns that we sing. Because it builds up every verse and, and some things written in there musically that I couldn't even identify that, that tell you, boy, this is a building. It's a building feeling. And I love the building of the feelings that go along with that hymn because it's just a, a big crescendo. That's a musical word, okay? And uh, that big crescendo, it just comes to it. And boy, uh, it just builds and builds and builds. And the result is, it is, what's the word? What did it say about Saul? Made him what? Well. Now, we didn't plan that. But literally, you know what Saul could sing after that? It is well with my spirit. God has ministered to me through that music. This, not what some would say, oh, it's all moral. There's no morality. No, no, no. This is moral. It has ministered spiritually to Paul. It has produced good things in his life because it is good music. I like to make this statement, and you see it up here, and the fact is this, the evil spirit departs, and I like this, I really believe this with all of my heart, okay, and I would just encourage you why it is important for you to not only listen to good Christian music in your church, but to listen to good Christian music in your homes, and in your cars, and anywhere you go. Why is that? Because I'll tell you, I think this story demonstrates that good Christian music chases evil spirits away. And in turn, you know what we see? That evil spirit departs. The evil spirit departs. Saul is happier, he's brighter, and better. Uh, Spiritually. He is right spiritually with God. Some things have been restored. And that that evil spirit has departed. The sad thing is, I think Saul makes some choices that entertains that, causes that spirit to come back to him. Because the passage even alludes to this happens frequently or more than once uh, that David has to come and play and God uses that, that powerful good music to chase away the evil spirit. Uh, that's an interesting truth and yet it is a, at the same time a powerful truth. Because music can either chase away bad spirits or it can welcome them. There are instances even in scripture where uh, there is music that encourages the wrong kind of spirits, no doubt. 
Uh, it can enhance a godly event, and it can enhance a worldly sensual event. Um, we'll get down the road in a few messages down the road, and we'll share with you some of the quotes of uh, artists of the world, rock music, and so forth. And, and some of them are unabashedly telling us that in their design, now don't miss this, in how they design music, how they write and compose music, they are welcoming evil spirits. Some of them will say that blatantly. That we, wanna, we, we, want, we, we want these evil spirits to come and this kind of be the place where they feel at home and so forth. They are literally communicating that unabashedly. That they want that. They want them to feel welcome. You see, the fact is this. Uh, music can either promote morality, good, or it will promote immorality, wrong, bad, and the actions and things that come from it. Okay? There's also another evidential thing, and, and I think this is a very practical example. You've certainly heard it before. Okay? But you see it, number two here in our outline, it is this simple truth. It is what we would call the language comparison. The language comparison. Okay? So as we think about words in the English language, um, they mean something and they are either moral or immoral. I, I could stand up here, and I will not do it for sake of illustration, but I could go down through a list of words, and we can identify, is that a, a moral word or an immoral word? Is that a good word or is that a bad word? In fact, we could probably put our children up here, and I could read down through a list or allow them to hear it, and you know what? Children are pretty good at identifying what? Dad, that's a bad word. <laughs> Haven't you ever been embarrassed in a store when somebody says something to your child like, real loud for the entire store to hear? Dad, he said a bad word. <laughs> and the guy's 6'4", you know, and muscles rippling everywhere. <laughs> and I'm like, he's with his mother. <laughs> uh, that's who he's with. <laughs> but why? They know, right? They can listen to a word and they say, well, that's either bad or, or good. Okay? Uh, there's nothing wrong with that word. That, that, that encourages wholeness or wholesomeness. That's good. Or, or that's a bad word. That's, you should ought not to say that. See, the English language is true. Now, the fact is this. At the same time, I can stand up here and I could go through the entire list of the 26 letters in our English alphabet. Okay, I'm not going to be up here saying A, B, C. And when we get to D, you're not going to be like, oh, I cannot believe Pastor Henry said D. It's terrible. See, some of you are not even following me right now because that was actually pretty humorous. Um, what am I saying? The letters are not moral or immoral. The raw components of the word. But I'll tell you, I'll get over here and I can say a word that has the word letter D in it and it will cause you to blush and will cause you to go, oh, and every child go, oh. <laughs> and my resignation to be in the email tomorrow. Why? Because they're either moral or immoral words. But the components, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, they're all moral. In the exact same way, when we take music, and, and many of us would know it well from the sound of music, right? Do, re, mi, fa, so, and all that good stuff. Do, a female, okay, I won't keep going, but uh, all those notes. That was interesting. In the medieval time, that was a means to teach the major skill, by the way. It's kind of an interesting study if you look at it. And uh, nonetheless, those are notes, right? In and of themselves, those notes are all moral. Oh, I'm not going to sing or, 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 or I'm going to go over the piano and hit a, hit a note and you're not going to say, oh, that note should never be played in church. No Christian should ever hear that note. 
Oh, those notes are all moral. But I'll tell you, we can put a bunch of those notes together and maybe that using that very same name and we can play some on here and Pastor Aaron be like, get off that piano now. We're not doing that in church. That doesn't glorify God. Now what happened? We took the raw components that are all moral and we put them together. We orchestrated, we organized, we uh, put them together in such a way that now we have established something that is, because why? We're moral beings and therefore, we've established or created, composed something that is moral or immoral. You see, this language comparison shows that there's no, more, there's no moral quality to notes just as there are no more quality to individual letters. Yet, how those notes are orchestrated, how they are arranged together, does have a moral quality. Because the moral being is arranging them and putting them together and will certainly be moved by his own immorality or his morality. That's in his heart. He will design it accordingly. So therefore, we can take what is all moral, a letter, a musical note, Played on an instrument, we can arrange it in a certain way. And I like, remember what 1 Corinthians 14 said? To play, we can arrange it to play or produce in a, the statement there, a distinct sound. So now we can arrange the letters and arrange the, uh, the notes to produce a distinct word or a distinct sound. And all of a sudden it has taken on morality or immorality. It is communicating. It is speaking of morality or immorality because of the way that we have arranged them as moral beings. As we've already seen, the, the music, the notes, and the rhythms as they're joined together can be used to draw a listener to a certain emotional state can cause the hearer to worship or can incite the listener to act in a specific way. We've already talked about that as we talk about music and the use in, in restaurants and shopping places and how they use that music uh, to elicit out of you a certain action. Whether to stay longer or such, I think I may have mentioned, but I think one of the most amazing uses of that music was um, within restaurants. During their busy hours, they sped up the music so that you would eat faster and leave so they could have your table. During lower hours, they slowed the music down, hoping that you would stay and do what? Buy more stuff. Isn't that amazing? They got to the point where they could engineer music, and they understood how that would have an effect on people within a restaurant sitting down and affect people in such a way. We've seen that. So music must have a moral aspect because God is a moral being. He created us as moral beings and he gave music to us. Now, notice the statement on your outline here, okay? So our moral letters joined together make moral or immoral words. Likewise, our moral notes joined together make moral or immoral music. By logic, by the obvious um, connection and the production of what we've seen already okay therefore we can't we must conclude that music is not neutral music is not neutral like letters that form words and those words are not neutral and paint to paint a picture here's another illustration we said language comparison i just throw this in at the end you know paint in and of itself is is all moral colorful pigments mixed together have no moral quality okay and uh <laughs> jokingly if i had some some, uh, some bottles of paint up here let's say i hold up a red thing like oh that's a pretty color i hold up blue you're not gonna be like oh put that away that blue is oh that's immoral no we wouldn't do that 
okay? Um, we don't assign to colors, but what happens? You can take those beautiful pigments of colors, and you can arrange them on a canvas, and you can paint them into a very beautiful scene. I don't know about you, but I like mountain scenes. I, I love sunset maybe around that mountain. Oh, that is gorgeous. That is beautiful. That's uplifting. And maybe for you and I, it would encourage us as we see that scene. My goodness, our God is a great creator. Amen? It would elicit a response. And I would argue a, a moral response. But can I tell you, we can take the same paint and somebody on a similar canvas can paint a sensual picture and it elicit immoral thoughts. Is that not true? You can see it in magazines. You can see it on the internet. And the, pixel, the pixels, if you want to take that, the, the colors and so forth, they can be arranged. The paint can be arranged in such a way that it will produce either a moral or immoral product. Just like the letters, just like the, the notes in music. You know, the moral quality, and I think here's the key. Don't miss this. I don't have it on your outline, but I think it's a great statement. The moral quality comes from the composition, not the individual elements of the painting. Okay, the moral quality comes from the composition, the composer. We can apply this to music, painting, whatever the case may be, okay? And the moral quality comes from the composition, not the individual elements of the painting. The moral quality of the painting exists within the work, too, whether a spectator views it or not, it's there. Can't change that. As we bring this section to a close, I, I want to share with you a quote from this secular psychologist. Early 1900s, he, he made a, a huge study that was produced. And this is the early 1900s, so this is quite a while ago. But uh, he, he was very, as a psychologist, very interested in the impact of music on people. And uh, so for 50 years, he studied, uh, uh, or I should say, he studied 50 years of material. S uh, medical studies, he looked at patients, uh, he, he looked at many different things in the medical field, in the, the field of psychology and music and so forth. And boy, he, he studied 50 years worth of all this information. And as he wrote uh, his findings, his report, uh, it, it was very much showing that music is not neutral, that it is not amoral. Okay? Here's a statement he made within his, uh, it was a paper at the time, it later became a book. And uh, the title of it was um, The Psychology of Music, The Influence of Music on Behavior. And he wrote several reports, several medical uh, reports and papers about it. But this one was specifically The Psychology of Music, The Influence of Music on Behavior. Here's what he said. Notice it. He says this. He identifies music. He says it's the most powerful stimulus known among the perceptive senses. Now that is a strong statement. You better have some good evidence and proof for what you're saying. And I believe in his papers from what I've already seen. He certainly does. Here's what he goes on to say. And this is a, by the way, this is not a Christian, okay? And any thing that I can find out of in no way is he a Christian. Uh, he was just a psychologist. He says this, the medical, psychiatric, and other evidence for the non-neutrality of music is so overwhelming that it frankly amazes me that anyone should seriously say otherwise. A psychologist. A man who studied, and for me, the, the medical field, he, he, he said, wait a second, why are we trying to say music is amoral? Why are we trying to say music is neutral? Well, I, I could give you a long list of patients that have been affected in their behavior and how they act, how they live by music. I, I, I can tell you how it's affected their mind. Music. 
Can I tell you, Christian, you ought, to, you ought not to believe the lie that music is amoral. It is not neutral. And that then means that it is even more powerful than probably we give it credit for. When it plays on our radio, when we hear it in some place, whatever the case may be, the reality is it is powerful to influence. I think what that psychologist says as well, it has a huge impact on our behavior. It has a huge impact on our thinking, our mind. It has a huge impact on us spiritually, as Saul's story even demonstrates. Okay? So we can't debate. I think we've seen enough evidence and proof the reality of the power of music. Now, wait a minute. Let's back up a second because we also know about something about music. God created it. God created music. Okay? So that brings us to Roman number three. What, the purpose of music. In other words, why, why music? We alluded to it this morning. I think one of the great truths about our creator, our God, in, in all of his creation. Now, don't miss this. I think this, is, this ought to impact much of our theology. Uh, certainly about things that we deal with, things that we have to interact with, and certainly about our God. Our God is an intentional, purposeful creator. Our God is a purposeful, intentional creator. He does not create something without it having a purpose. In other words, everything he creates, there's an intended purpose. There's an intent behind it, if we might describe it as such. He doesn't make anything without reason, okay? Many of you and I have had our children, they draw something or make something. You're like, what is it? And one of my children before have said, I don't know. Okay, well, it, whatever it is, it's nice. You did a good job coloring that. God's not like that, right? He, he doesn't design something. He doesn't create something without a purpose or intent, and if God is an intentional creator, then we must say, okay, God, what is your intent behind music? It's all around us. It's in the world. We are, I believe, musical beings to a degree and, uh, because I believe God is musical. And so, God, why did you give us music? What is the purpose and the intent behind what you've given us that we call music? Okay? So let's start with understanding that by letter A. We say this, God created both you and music. And certainly, this is a big umbrella because it would inc- include everything else. He created us for one main purpose. We would say the ultimate purpose in general, broad purpose is that. His glory and his pleasure. His glory and his pleasure. And you and I are created for that. And uh, in our Sunday school for adults, we're going over a series on stewardship. And that's foundational to being a wise steward is to embrace the reality that God is intentional in his creation. He created us for a purpose. And we want to steward our lives to fulfill the purpose he's given us. Very important and foundational for you and I and how we live our lives as Christians. Okay? So as he has done that, a couple verses obviously come right to mind. Psalm 115, verse number 1. Now, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory uh, for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11 is probably the quintessential um, verse we look to, or the proof passage for uh, the creation of mankind and of all things. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things. Okay, so that establishes the authorship, the creation of God is all things. And then he says, okay, now here's the purpose. This verse is very intuitive in that, or at least instructional, I should say, in, in that truth. God created all, all things, and then what's the purpose of all things? Well, for thy pleasure, they are and were created. I like that are and were created. 
Okay? Do you understand that God is keeping his creation going and he creates things and continues to create life? <laughs> Everything that God creates in the past and the present, my friend, it is created for his pleasure. It has an intended purpose. And everything that, that comes up, God, God wants that to be used in such a way to bring him glory. Okay? So we can safely conclude that, that God desires all of his creation to work together for this common purpose. In fact, we put it this way. Uh, music should be used to achieve the ultimate purpose of creation both in our lives and the world. Okay? So the first conclusion we have to make is this. God has a purpose for it. God has a purpose for everything. And if we can just say in a broad spectrum the reality of the purpose or the, the reason behind everything or uh, the, the purpose in its creation was to bring God pleasure. Now listen to me. Ought not music to bring God pleasure? I ought not it to fall in debt. I ought it not to help you and I glorify God. Now, that is a great thing to use to say, okay, is my music good or bad? Well, turn around. Let me ask you this. Does it help you bring pleasure to God or does it not? Does it help you to glorify God or does it not? Because there's a whole lot of music out there that does not glorify God. You know who it glorifies? Mankind. It glorifies things of this world. It glorifies not him, but them. Glorifies things that certainly would not fulfill the ultimate purpose in our lives and of all creation. See, my friend, it starts with the reality of you and I embracing there is a purpose behind everything that God creates. And I don't know about you, but as a person, I want to fulfill the purpose that God has given me. So that means that everything in my life, music and speech and everything, I want it to fulfill the purpose that God has given it. We'll stop for tonight. Hang on to your outline, if you will, and we'll carry on next Sunday night. We'll get a little bit more into that reality, some things from Scripture that we see that show us that, that fact. You'll join me in standing. I appreciate your attendance tonight. Children, I am up here. I meant to say earlier, I had the candy up here. So children, you come by after the service, and you can show me the outline, or I can ask you a question. We can do any of those things. But if you'll join me in standing, grab your hymn book on your way up. We'll ask Pastor Aaron come to lead us in a song of dismissal. Appreciate being here. Hope you come back on Wednesday night. Uh, we'll be back in here. Hebrews, looking forward to that.